tonight, we're continuing our, our study, and we are in chapter 10 of the London Baptist Confession of Effectual Calling. And as, uh, as we are coming into this section, uh, last week Mr. Powers opened up the, uh, the chapter looking in a, to get a bigger picture of what is the effectual calling. Encourage you to maybe work on that memory verse, and uh, if you have the the large sheet notes, I, I underlined a section maybe for the younger kids. But uh, Romans eight twenty nine to thirty one, read it together with me on the screen. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined. These he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Some amazing verses packed with a lot of great truth. We understand uh, the effectual call. Uh, look at paragraph two. It says, The effectual call is of God's free and special grace alone, not from anything at all foreseen in man, nor from any power or agency in the creature, being wholly passive therein, being dead in sin and trespasses, until being quickened and renewed by the Holy Spirit. He is thereby enabled to answer this call and to embrace the grace offered and conveyed in it, and that by no less power than that which raised up Christ from the dead. Really, what the confession has started is to follow through the, what's called the order of salvation. The order of salvation being of election, that Christ's atonement covered. There's the general call that goes out to mankind to be saved, but the inward call or this effectual call that is received. Then we see conversion, justification, and sanctification, followed by glorification. One of the things you'll notice in this paragraph uh, and often happens in more formal ways, but in confession-type things, there's affirmations and denials. A couple years ago, I was uh, at a pastor's conference where uh, they were... It had been a while since a, a group of, of leading, really conservative Christian pastors had gotten together to, uh, to write a confession of who is Christ. And uh, they, they put together... a and affirmations and denials. And I kind of wondered why they did that. But then um, R.C. Sproul shared kind of the history of why that takes place. Because a lot of times we can say, I believe this and I believe that and I believe this and I believe that. But it still leaves a lot of gray area. But when you say, I believe this and I don't believe this, it draws a line in the sand both sides. And causes you to, to have a clearly defined path. And that's what this paragraph actually does. 
Kids, if you have my notes, you, you see that, first of all, we see God's grace. There's two is's and there's two is-nots. What is God's grace? It says, first of all, that God's grace is free. Now, this free is not speaking of uh, that <clears throat> it's free to us, but the picture is that God was free to give his grace. He's not compelled to give it. He's not bound by anything. It is him giving of it in his own free will. God's grace, that first sentence also says that his grace is special. And this is just giving a, um, a differentiation between the common grace that we see among all mankind. That everyone who walks the face of the earth is a recipient of God's grace. The sunshine, the seasons, the consistencies that he does not bring justice upon us right now and call us to judgment. That is common grace. But what's speaking of, spoken of here is his special grace. Very much like Ephesians 2.5 says, Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by which, by grace, you have been saved. Notice those two things. We were dead in our trespasses, and he made us alive together with Christ. It is a free grace because there's nothing that God was obligated to do. One of the ways that I think sometimes a false teaching creeps in is, is in the area of music. That, that, that we allow the, the focus to be so much upon us. We can, we can take the statement that, that maybe you've even heard. If I was the only person here on earth, Jesus still would have gone to the cross. And while there's an aspect possibly of that that's true, it becomes very me-centered and not the glory of Christ-centered. For it is God's grace. He was not compelled. He was not bound to do anything, but it was his grace. But this grace that's being spoken of here that brings about this effectual calling is a special grace that is not for all mankind. I want to give two terms here that maybe you've heard monergism and synergism monergism if you've not heard of a word sometimes we can think of what are some word parts that i see in that moner or mono what does that mean one and then erg you may not know that one but it's the latin word or excuse me the greek word for work so it is a, a working of one. So what is this speaking of? In salvation, the working of one. It comes from one direction. And this would be the view that we hold that salvation is solely based upon God's work and not ours. But an opposing view would be that of synergism. The, the word sin, or S-Y-N, meaning together, in the word erg. So there's a working together. That there's a working together that God does and we do to bring about our salvation. That God can only take it so far. I think, though I greatly respect the work of D.L. Moody, I think he was lacking in his 
theology here. He was well known to say, God cast his vote, Satan cast his vote, now you cast your vote. That's that picture of synergism. God's gone as far as he can. And to be saved, you've got to do your part. But what we understand is that we cannot. Even when we see there just a, a moment ago in Ephesians 2, 5, we're dead in our trespasses. There's nothing we can do. And notice as the paragraph in the confession says, the effectual call is of God's free and special grace, not from anything at all foreseen in man. There's nothing he sees in us. And so that it is free, it is special, but it is not. Here's the denials. It is not because he sees something in us. God doesn't see something good in us first and then give us grace. For as we saw in the attributes of God, again, we have to start with an understanding of who God is. He works not based upon... um, uh, he is without passions. Do you remember that? It was kind of a, a I think Mr. Fell taught on that week, that, that without passions, what does that mean? That God doesn't have passions? No, it means that these passions are not driven without sight of him, that God is not caused to do anything. Much like 2 Timothy 1.9 says, speaking of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Now look at this. Not... According to our works. So this holy calling is not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. And when did he give it? In Christ Jesus before time began. God didn't look down the corridors of time and foresee something. He does know his children because then he controls the outcome. Because he has called us. So his grace is free. His grace is special. His grace is not based upon anything foreseen. That's that first denial. And the second denial is that it's not from the creature. That we don't create the grace. It is coming from him. God uses the foolish things of the world, 1 Corinthians 1 says. We are weak. We are base. And notice, as the paragraph says after that, that man being wholly passive, that our salvation, we are not active in at this point in the effectual calling. There is a response when we are awakened in new life that there's an action we do. But at this point, of the, when God is opening our eyes to believe, It is all passive. It's all being done to us. There's nothing that we are doing. Uh, Sam Waldron in his uh, comments on the confession, he points out this, that this calling is the outworking of election. Because God has elected some, the outworking of this statement or something that would happen here is the action that would follow it that god would call those whom he has elected john murray said this it has often been said that we are passive in regeneration this is a true and proper statement 
But blessed be God that the gospel of Christ is one of sovereign, efficacious, irresistible regeneration. If it were not the case that in regeneration we were passive, the subjects of the action of which God alone is the agent, there would be no gospel at all. For the gospel is a good news that comes to us. Now when we talk about this, we we can get into this debate of, okay, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Many people will acknowledge that. But then how do we get to the point that we're able to believe? And sometimes there's this statement of, of what's called a provenient grace. And you know, I used to always think provenient grace was that Arminian word that said, here's a grace that God gives that allows us to choose. But provenient grace is a word that even in a Reformed tradition we can understand accurately. Because provenient means proceeding in time. That God gives us a grace that comes before us being able to have faith. Interestingly enough, my dictionary, uh, it, I put it there, yeah, it's an antecedent. John Wesley, in my dictionary, it uses John Wesley. John Wesley referred to God's work in the unconverted as provenient grace. Now, unfortunately, uh, they left a lot out about John Wesley, that he spoke of provenient grace, that God places within us the ability to choose, but then we can reject that. But God does give us a grace that takes place beforehand. That grace is a free grace. It's a special grace. It's not based upon what we do. And it is not, uh, it is not from us. It doesn't pr- come from us. It comes from God. We saw as on last week when Mr. Powers was teaching that we're dead in our trespasses and since we're made alive. But paragraph 2 here points out specifically how that takes place. And secondly, we see the agent of God's grace being whom? The Holy Spirit. I I was challenged this week in in studying that, that there's times when Scripture points out that, yes, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Absolutely, that is true. But how are we able to receive that it's through the working of the holy spirit so it's a both and process there the word is proclaimed but the word is proclaimed to many of us mr powers you were 30 when you were saved i'm sorry how 19 no, I was, uh, so for 23 years the gospel had been proclaimed and there had not been a response to that so the, the gospel, the faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word of God can be proclaimed. And it is powerful, but it is powerful because the Holy Spirit makes it powerful. And it is only powerful when God opens our eyes to believe, to receive that. So it is the Holy Spirit who's the agent who enables us to answer that call. Until that point that the Holy Spirit opens our eyes, all we do is reject that outward call. 
John 6, 45, Jesus says, It is written in the, in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Notice, who has learned and heard from the Father, and then we come to him. He explains later in that chapter, John 6, 63 to 65, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were and who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, Therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. I want you to consider, if you've seen God's work of grace, think about the time before that. The time when the Holy Spirit had not made you able to hear, had not made you able to see, had not made you able to answer that call. In some, it may be in some more of a drastic way, but it is all completely drastic in the sense that we're taken from our old life to a new life, or an old heart to a new heart, a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. That is drastic. And it's a drastic thing that's happening spiritually. But sometimes on the outside, we don't see as much of that drastic. I, I stumbled on John Bunyan. Uh, he had a little poem. He says, When God at first the world did make, t'was dark until again he spake. Tis so with man, he is all night at first, till God doth give him light. Just like the world, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. That is us. But then God speaks and says, let there be light. It's a beautiful picture of what happens in us. And happens through the work of the Holy Spirit. It enables us to answer. But then it enables us to embrace, to accept that offer of grace. At the, toward the end of that paragraph, He is thereby enabled to answer this call and to embrace the grace offered. There's that beautiful picture because it could be stated that we're enabled to answer the call. But they added that, that reminder that in doing so, we're embracing God's grace, his gift of forgiveness. I'm thankful for that. Augustine said this in in regard to this doctrine. If you agree with us in thinking that we are doing our duty in giving thanks to God, as is our custom for such people when they have been converted, then you are surely bound to admit that the wills of men are proveniently moved, again, beforehand, proveniently moved by the grace of God, and that it is God who makes them to will the good which they refused. For it is God whom we ask so to do. And we know that it is met, that it is, that it is meet, met and meet. Sorry, throwing me off there. That it is meet and right to give thanks to him for so doing. I I guess I, I just leave us with this reminder. 
as we consider the lives of those around us who have not received the gospel call, it is this to what we pray to for God to do. For him to send the Holy Spirit into the life of us, those of us who have not received it. To open our eyes to believe the truth. And to accept that gift of grace. Again, it's nothing that we can do. It is of God's free and special grace. It's a scary thing because we put the trust in God to do that work. We trust God to do the work in that right time. But what a better place, for he is the God who is able. He is the God who is able to save to the uttermost. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reminder of these truths. Lord, as a father seeking to share the truth with my children, Lord, I... I, on behalf of everyone here, all the other parents, come before and just ask that you would show your free and special grace. Lord, that you would draw each of our children to yourself. Lord, awaken them to new life. Holy Spirit, do a mighty work. But Lord, we acknowledge that it is a work that only you can do. And so it is to you we pray. It is to you who we depend. Lord, you've called us to be faithful, to proclaim the truth of your word, so find us faithful. And Lord, soften our hearts. Remind us of the grace that you have done, done a work in our lives. Lord, that we would have a great compassion for those who are lost like sheep without a shepherd. Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand these truths greater and with conviction live them out as we proclaim your powerful gospel. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen.